I'm in a meeting and my phone rings and it's, it's my wife. And usually she texts me throughout the day. Um, not that she wouldn't call, but for some reason um, I had this odd feeling. You know, I often marvel at how profound some of our moments can be and how something so exceedingly ordinary like a phone call can be so impactful that it completely redefines our place in this world, making it so abundantly clear that there was life before that moment had occurred and that there's a life we're living today and that those two experiences are just so different in so many ways. To be completely honest, today's episode revolves around a moment I wish had never happened because I can't help but wonder how life would be today if his phone ever rang during that particular meeting on that seemingly ordinary day. I mean, how different would the last four years have been for him? But on the other hand, as you'll soon begin to realize, it's actually a moment we're both grateful for because of what it's done for his soul, how it's helped him find a lasting peace within himself, and how it's leading him through a metamorphosis even as we speak. And so I'd like to introduce you to a longtime friend of mine, Andrew Lee, and more specifically to the Andrew I knew long before that phone call had ever arrived. We've known each other for what, like maybe 20 plus years. And, and I think anybody who knows me that well will laugh in agreement when I say like, I'm regimented, I'm organized, I make spreadsheets. And, and again, this was like very much related to my fear of addressing the now. So I had this and still do, but sometimes have this foolish notion that I can script the future. So from the littlest things of like going on a group trip, and we've been on a few lock and had a had a really good time. Um, you know, I'd be the one who's like literally spreadsheeting out and scripting out what the day is going to look like, where we're gonna go, where are we gonna grab drinks, what restaurant are we gonna go to, you know, who's gonna be there? And on the surface, again, people are like, oh, cool. Like Andrew's planning all of this, it makes it easy for me. But again, what was behind it was the sense of anxiety that I couldn't even go on a trip and just enjoy it and just be there. You know, I've got to say that for a variety of reasons, what you just shared is quite surprising to me. You've got me thinking back on those epic trips we've taken and I'm flooded with these images of spreadsheets and itemized expenses tracked to the penny. And though we've certainly had a whole bunch of laughs at your expense, I've always seen that as just you leaning into your love for details and structure. And I can't say I've ever suspected any sort of personal anxiety behind it all. So now I'm really curious to hear more about this because it's all starting to come together right now. And I'm feeling like you're about to drop something deep here. I mean, when in the world did you start to realize all this? You know, my wife is the opposite of me. Like we'll go on a vacation and she just wants to be, she just wants to 
sit and look at the ocean if we're in front of the ocean. She just wants to walk around and look at restaurants or shops if we're walking around and looking at shops where I'm always like, I'm like, we've got five days here. We got to make sure we see all the right things and do all the right things. And I'm checking off stuff, right? Um, So I wanted to give that backdrop. I know your question was more about when did I start to realize. Um, But I wanted to give that backdrop of how I operate because it juxtaposes powerfully a moment in my life where all of that just got knocked out of my hands and was forced out of me in a way that I wasn't prepared for, um, that I wasn't comfortable with, uh, but ultimately I think was necessary for my own transformation. I remember attending your wedding, you know, with the Cisco group and that motley crew we had going back then. And I suppose I was fairly naive and immature at that point in life. But what I remember most vividly was all of us standing outside that evening in front of the beautiful backdrop with all its glimmering lights and just being so thankful for the moment. It was so much easier back then in so many ways, you know? And then life happened and we both ended up being on entirely different continents at one point. You in Australia and me in Europe and it was beautiful and exciting and everything we'd ever imagined. And then life happened again and we're both faced with these moments that touch us so deeply that they seemingly shatter every conception of reality, just sending us on completely different paths. And you know, nothing's ever the same again. On a pretty normal day, you know, I still remember like it was yesterday, dropped off the kids at school. It was a weekday, so I was working, I was heading to work. And before I left for work, my wife mentions to me, oh, hey, you know, I've got to take care of these few things. And I'm also going to go to Kaiser and just do my routine doctor's visit. And I was like, okay, sounds good. And she's like, but you'll be back at this time. You can take the kids to to Taekwondo or swimming. I can't remember. It was some some activity. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I head to the office and only like an hour later, I'm in a meeting and my phone rings and it's, it's my wife. And usually she texts me throughout the day. Um, not that she wouldn't call, but for some reason, um, I had this odd feeling about this phone call. So uh, I think I might've missed it once and then she called again. And that definitely made me feel really uneasy. So I I excused myself and I stepped out and took the call. And um, long story short, she's like, it's cancer. So I left work naturally, came home, hugged my wife. There were tears. But like what was on my mind was I need to do, you know, I need to act. I need to plan. And what was foolish about that was like, I didn't even know where to start. That night, after we put the kids to bed, we didn't tell them because we weren't prepared to tell them. We wanted to get advice on how to tell your kids. And my wife, you know, I don't even know how she fell asleep, knowing what was on her mind. But she somehow ultimately fell asleep. And then I went into my office, the one, my home office, the one I'm sitting in right now. 
And I stayed up all night. And it was not, there wasn't a moment where I was just sitting there thinking, like I was doing stuff. I created this 40-page doc of articles about her type of diagnosis, um, second opinions, people who experience different things, different alternative medicine. And then I was like Googling stuff about like what my role was as a spouse, uh, which hospitals were the best. And like, it was insane because I just kept working. And that carried on for like a couple of days. And I remember sharing it with my wife the next morning. And I'm like, look, we're going to figure this out. Like, I've done all this research. I'm going to call this doctor. I'm going to get this medicine. I'm going to get this stuff that's over the counter that should make chemotherapy more bearable. And I remember she didn't say a word. She just kind of looked at me. And I assumed she just didn't know what to say and just was like, okay, you do that. And I was like, okay, it was almost that her silence was almost an approval for me to just keep going. And then ultimately, um, it was maybe the night, the next night or the following night, I was in my mode, I was doing more research, planning stuff. And out of nowhere, with no warning, I broke down, completely broke down. The breakdown was this intensified realization that what I was doing wasn't going to make a difference, that it wasn't what I needed to be focusing on at that moment. And that was super harrowing for me because I think most of my life I've been relatively successful based on plans I've made. And no matter how hard I tried to operate in the way that I knew, I finally realized it didn't matter. And going back to that point where I said my wife stared at me blankly, and in that moment I thought it was her approving, I think what she was really saying was, just be present with me. Like, I don't need you to figure this out. I just need you to be next to me and just like, you don't even have to speak, just be. You know what, Andrew? There just aren't enough words to describe how proud I am of your growth as a person and as a husband and a father throughout this entire experience. Just hearing you speak to all this so eloquently and with such introspection and clarity, that's incredibly telling in and of itself. I've personally found our conversations over the last few years to be so enlightening and so elevated in consciousness. And I want you to know how incredible it's been to have been part of your growth. Before we move on though, I actually wanted to say to Teresa, as I'm hoping she'll be listening, that it's always been my intention to share this conversation with her as an individual. Because while I know full well that this is Andrew's story, 
and a pathway towards sharing his part of the journey, I hope it allows you, Teresa, to understand him a bit more. And just as importantly, I hope this episode will allow your boys one day to better understand how their father has changed and what he continues to work through as a result of this shared experience. I mean, being able to help bridge that generational gap would mean the world to me. I've always loved to live in the past, being nostalgic, or the future, and dreaming about what I wanted to achieve, or do, or who I wanted to be with. And I was intentionally not thinking about the now, because now was scary to me. And it took me like 40 plus years to realize this. And when I tried to unpack why the sense of now or being present scared me, what I realized was I had to react to things that were happening in the present moment versus when you dream about the past, it's done. There's no spontaneity in that. And dreaming about the future It's so far off that it doesn't seem like it requires any action. When I'd finally had that moment in the day, like, oh, I need to be more present. I need to, like, actually listen to my kids as they're telling me about their day. Or when I'm at my kids' sports activity, I'm actually watching and not playing on my phone or thinking about, like, what I need to get done when I get home. Again, I'm processing. Maybe I'll get to nirvana state where I don't have to tell myself what to do. But I just remind myself. I just say, let go. Don't think about that. Don't worry about that. And I try to think more in minutes and hours rather than weeks and months. I was very much a weeks and months type guy. It's like, oh, what trip are we going to go on? Or what project do I need to get done at work? Or, you know, Oh, my my son is going to be in this next grade. Who's his teacher going to be? How do we set him up for success? And now it's like, where am I going to go right now? I'm going to go grab a coffee and sit outside on the porch with my dog. I'm good with that. The word processing is really interesting to me. And I'm noticing that it's something you use quite a bit to delineate what's happening within your mind and your heart. And while it's obviously not something that'll just magically occur overnight, how much sense does it make to say that when you say that you're processing, what you're really saying is that you've been continuously and intentfully working to be present? Yeah, I I love how you say that. Um, (laughs) You just helped me process by saying that. (laughs) That's what I love, right? Like, honestly, more than anything, why I wanted to do this with you, Locke, is to share it and have someone hear it and be a soundboard and play it back and apply your wisdom. Um, So even that's part of my processing is sharing this story. Um, This is the first time I'm sharing it on a podcast, but I have been sharing with a lot more people than I ever had in the past, just being more open. And that's a joy in itself. 
Uh, I'm trying to be present with my own words and be present listening to others share their story. I'd like for it to get to a point where it's subconscious or it just happens, but I'm also okay that it's not right now. You know, part of my processing is journaling. But what I noticed with the the change in the way I journal now, in the past, it was writing about the past or it was dreaming about the future. And so much of my journal is about how do I want to enjoy my day today? So it's thinking a little bit in the future, but again, hours and days instead of weeks and months. And then I process throughout the day of like, Going back to that quote I shared, which I love so much of, you know, imagine the present moment being scripted or being chosen for you or you choosing it. Um, and for anyone who's religious or not, it doesn't matter because I actually think this notion emanates from all cultures, psyches, religions of like fate of this moment right now was scripted for you. And I find joy in like now something spontaneously happening, like something as simple as sitting on my porch and all of a sudden, you know, the sun is shining on me and I go, oh, this was scripted for me. And I'm now finding that out. And there's a sense of joy going, this wasn't something that was spontaneous, but it was like, I choose to think of it as I chose this moment. I chose to have the sun shine on me with my dog while I'm drinking a beer on my porch at this moment. And going back to the old Andrew of like, I'm going to plan every situation. Now I'm like, oh, I did plan this. I just didn't know it. Or someone planned it for me and I just didn't know it. And now this revelation of it happening is a joy. And I don't do it all minutes of the day, right? And I have to remind myself, but I try to consciously, as you say, think to myself, what if this was scripted? What if Locke and I talking on this podcast and him reaching out while I was going through a metamorphosis in my life? I know that was scripted. I know that was chosen. That wasn't random. So that's how I'm consciously trying to think about my day. What are your thoughts on whether this processing will actually lead to a conclusion one of these days? I don't know, and but I'm trying to be kind to myself and maybe thinking that maybe the point isn't getting to a, a state of mind where it's just, I'm not processing, right? I'm contradicting what I said earlier, but I think that's processing in itself is like, I might have different notions depending on the day. But I'm, I think what's different is like, I'm trying to be kind to myself. I'm not being like, oh, that's not the notion I had yesterday. And am I wrong? Like, I'm not thinking that way anymore. I'm more just like, maybe the beauty of it is the journey. And it is the processing, rather than the destination of some kind of nirvana state. Um, maybe that's the next life is the nirvana state, but this life here, Maybe there's something beautiful in itself about just processing and understanding. Because I think there's probably, I guess the joy of learning, not to segue, but the joy of those moments where I'm choosing to frame it as, oh, this is the scripted moment. 
That's awesome. I don't want to lose that joy. And maybe if I get to a point, some kind of, I don't know, um, supposed state of nirvana where you don't process anymore, maybe it's like, ah, oh, I won't have that joy anymore of learning um, or realizing more and more about myself. So, yeah, there you go. I'm going to change what I said earlier. This is processing on the fly, impromptu. And I, I think what I choose to believe in today is is the constant processing maybe is the journey. Maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the joy. So I'm sitting here not wanting this conversation to end. And I know it won't because there are endless things for us to work through as we move on and as life continues to flourish around us. But for the purposes of this episode, it's really time for us to bring it all together and to take the audience home. And it might be an unfair question given the depth of this conversation, but what are your additional thoughts on moving forward and making tomorrow a better version of today? I think the practical way it really worked for me is writing down. Sometimes it's on my iPhone. It doesn't have to be in some beautiful leather-backed notebook. But there's moments throughout my day where something happens, not just good, but even bad, um, where I write it in my iPhone and I pause. And even if I can't comprehend it, just acknowledging, what if this was scripted for me? And maybe weeks from now or months from now, the next chapter in the script will reveal why it happened to me. And not wondering what it is, not being like, oh, I need to skip ahead in the book, because that was the old Andrew. Like I, There was a sense of anxiety going, okay, something just happened right now. Let me spend a lot of time and energy wondering why and trying to foolishly skip ahead in this book that I don't have. But instead, just being present and just thinking to yourself, oh, I wonder if this was chosen for me. Yeah, that's the advice I'd give. That's, what, that's what's helped me be present is a little bit of documenting, a little bit of work required to write things down. But I do find myself actually having many additional moments where I'm just thinking it and I don't write it down. So that's part of my processing is maybe just building that muscle memory of being more meditative, um, being more prayerful, just spending moments, micro moments. That's the other bit of advice I'd give is I used to beat myself up when I'm like, okay, I'm going to spend an hour. I would almost plan for unplanned time, but a micro moment can still be powerful. Three seconds where you just pause in your car and you go, I wonder what that means. Or three seconds after this call with you, Locke, I'm going to go for a walk. And I think I'll spend three seconds going, that was really cool that Locke and I just did that. That was definitely cool, my friend. I mean, I couldn't ask for a more thoughtful and mindful friendship. 
especially over the last handful of years as I've been continuing to process those moments of my own. But on a much lighter note, Andrew, I suppose this is a really good time to publicly apologize to you for getting you into some big trouble with Connie all those years ago, literally during your first day on the job at Cisco. I guess I shouldn't have convinced you that it was okay to take a two-hour lunch break for some I am basketball games, huh? That was my bad, and I'm sorry, bro. But you know what? I'm still keen on blaming Cisco for all that. It's really their fault for placing all those basketball courts on campus and for even offering I am sports in the first place. You know what I'm saying, right? Oh yeah, I also wanted to let you know that although I've moved on to a country for a while now, I might actually love Tevin Campbell just as much as you do. His albums were the soundtrack to my super awkward high school experience. I suppose I always wanted to be so smooth, to be so present in the moment. I mean, is it just me? Or did Tevin simply always have the right words for every occasion? You know how it is, fam. If you're new to this podcast, welcome home. We're hoping you enjoyed this episode and that you'll be sharing this with the rest of your community. If you'd like to collaborate on a personal or professional development project, reach out on LinkedIn or good old-fashioned email at info at lockwin.com.